This is the Sunday that has traditionally been called Palm Sunday. The occasion when, in the Passion Week leading up to Passover, Jesus entered Jerusalem where the crowd heard in advance that he was coming. He had spent the previous day in the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And many who had seen the great miracle of Lazarus being called forth back into life from the tomb had come to see Jesus when they heard he was there and also to see Lazarus to make sure he was still alive and out of the tomb. And then the following day, some of them must have spread the word to Jerusalem that Jesus was coming that way from Bethany, about five miles outside of the city, into the city of Jerusalem. There weren't a lot of roads or streets or paths or highways or even paths that led into Jerusalem from Bethany, so they know his, his route. And knowing which way he was coming, they got ready and prepared to receive him as he came into the city of Jerusalem. And this is what the record says about that triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. You'll find it in your Bible in John chapter 12. And this is beginning at verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, that's the feast of the Passover in Jerusalem, which swelled the population of the city more than any other time of the year. That large crowd who had come heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. This is the first time that the crowd identified him as a king. It wasn't the first time he was addressed as king. It wasn't the first, they weren't the first people who realized that he was a king. But it was the first time a crowd addressed him as king. As he's coming in to the city, he's riding on a little small donkey. That was predicted by the prophet Zechariah centuries before this occasion. Zechariah had said, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. And you'll recognize him, he'll be sitting on a donkey's colt. That must have been confusing to people who read that prophecy. A king doesn't usually ride on a donkey's colt. They usually ride on a magnificent steed, or a great white horse, or being drawn in by chariots with all the recognition and the pomp and ceremony surrounding but the, but the prophet of old said, your king is coming and he will ride in to your presence on a donkey's colt. And that's just exactly what happened. Fulfilling the prophecy, Jesus found a colt to ride on, coming down the dusty road, entering the city of Jerusalem, and the people on each side of the road standing there to greet him were ready for him. They had their palm fronds and other 
Some places said that, that even their cloaks they threw out before him. They wanted to cover the ground for him to move over as he came into the city. And as he came in, they were crying out his praises. They were honoring and recognizing. Some places said they cried out, Hosanna, son of David. If they called him son of David, they were recognizing his kingship in the lineage of David. In this particular reference, John puts it in exactly these words. They cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And so I speak to you this morning on Jesus the King. There are three offices that Jesus holds under the anointing of the Father. He is prophet. He is priest. He is king. I would like to be able to talk to you about his holding the office of prophet, but time does not permit that. I especially would like to, for the, to talk to you about his being priest, because that is so important to all of us, but time doesn't permit that either. So I'm going to dwell on one office that Jesus held, and that is the office of king. He's recognized as the king by the people as he comes in. But that wasn't new. Because at the very time of Jesus' birth, the Spirit of God spoke to men from far, far away and drew them with the sign of a star designating the birth of this unusual, incomparable person being born as a baby in the little village of Bethlehem. When those men from the east came, when they got as close as Jerusalem to Bethlehem, they started looking for him because they were looking not for an ordinary person, not for one who was a part of the regular folk. They were looking for someone way up above all others. They were looking for a newborn king. And there was something so special about that that they recognized him, even as a babe, when they saw him in the humble condition that they found him in that house in Bethlehem after they'd moved out of the stable in the manger. They were residing in this house and the, and, and the men from the east came. They bowed down before him and they worshipped him. Ordinarily you don't worship a king, but they saw he was a king at a higher level than any other. That was a revelation of God to them so that we could have that revelation given to them, passed on to us. And so they said, We've come to worship him who is born king of the Jews. At the very beginning, God establishes this fact. Jesus, who is the Christ, is the king. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of the world. He's the king of eternity. Jesus Christ is king. In Luke 1.33, again in the very beginning of Jesus' life on earth, this is what was spoken of him. It is said, Luke 1.33, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. The house of Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, all, of, all the lineage of Abraham. He will reign over the people of Israel. Over all the people of Israel. Of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He will have rulership. And he will reign. And his kingdom, this verse says, and his kingdom will have no end. That's important for us to know now, because we're going to talk about that later on in this message. 
His kingdom has no end. Every kingdom that has ever been established in this world has come to an end. Every kingdom. The kingdoms of ancient times. The Roman Empire, led by a Caesar. The Egyptian Empire, led by a Pharaoh, both kings. The Ottoman Empire, later on up, many years later, that stood for two, two, three hundred years, finally came to an end at the beginning of World War I. Every kingdom that has ever come forth, that has been established, that has prospered, that has even endured in this world, has at some point in time come to an end. But the kingdom of Jesus Christ, over which he ruled with the power and authority of Father God, has never come to an end and will never come to an end because his kingdom is eternal. And so it's established at the very beginning of his life that Jesus is king. I could do the same thing as I talked about prophet and show you how in the scripture he's declared to be a prophet. I could show you how in the scripture he's declared to be a priest in the same way. But today, I want your mind to be occupied with this one singular fact. Jesus Christ is a king. And he is a king from the beginning. He's a king through all of time. And he will be a king forever where his kingdom has no end. Now, through Jesus' life, there was always confusion about him. Even his disciples didn't fully understand about him. They'd get to a place of enlightenment, then they'd slip back. They were confused about his calling, his ministry. They were confused about the end of his life and what was going to happen. If you think they were confused, how about all the other people who weren't that close to him? There was a lot of misunderstanding in Jesus' day about him, the offices he held, and who he was. So in the course of time, there are many occasions when he's spoken of as holding other offices. The main thing Jesus wanted people to recognize as he taught them through his earthly life was that he's a savior. Savior king, yes. Savior prophet, savior priest, savior king, yes. But a savior above all else. So now it comes to the time that Jesus' earthly life is drawing to a close. He's in the garden. Judas has carried out his malevolent, dark duty for the money he's been given. He's gone up and identified Jesus of Nazareth so that he could be arrested. When he was arrested, some of the bold disciples decided that they would defend him. And so they, a couple of them pulled out their swords, notably Peter. And they were going to defend Jesus to the death. If it was their death or his death, they had no chance, of course, against those Roman soldiers and the, and, and the uh, temple guard. But they were going to do their best to defend it. But Jesus stopped that. And he stopped it by saying this, John 18, 36. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He didn't say he doesn't have a kingdom. He didn't say he's not a king. He just said, I don't need you to defend me or my rulership because my kingdom is not of this world. We're not going to fight with earthly swords. We're not going to fight with the weapons of men. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting for me. But that I might, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But, he repeats again, 
My kingdom is not of this world. And so Jesus is the king over a domain. He has been appointed by Father God to that office, to that position. And by Father God, he has been given that authority. But that rulership, that kingdom, that domain that he has under him is not a kingdom of this world. It is the kingdom of another world, the kingdom of a heavenly world. And that is the world, that is the rulership, that's the domain that Jesus rules over today. He's the king of a heavenly kingdom. And, and, and the wonderful thing about that is that although we are also citizens of this world, we're citizens of, we're citizens of someplace somewhere, whether you're a citizen of the United States or some other country or some other place, you're a citizen somewhere. And we're all citizens, in a sense, of this world. Jesus said that in, in John chapter 17. He said, they are not of this world. I'm not of this world. They're like me. But, he said, I don't pray that you'll take them out of the world. So we're still a part of this world. As long as we live here, these fleshly bodies, we're a part of this world. If you live in the United States, you have a president. You have a, well, I'm not going to get into that. It's just, and that's another story, another time, another place. But, but we are citizens of an earthly country, area, Republic, whatever we might want to call it. So we have something that ties us to this world. But at the same time, this is what I want you to understand, more important than what I was just saying these last couple of minutes. This is what I want you to understand. You also have another citizenship. This is what the Bible says. James chapter 2, verse 5. Very important for us to know. This is what James writes. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of the world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to them that love him. So we have another citizenship. Our citizenship is in the commonwealth of glory, over which Jesus Christ rules, over which he has the authority as king. And we are members of that kingdom with him, heirs of the kingdom, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ as we stand on his authority and by his blood as heirs of the kingdom of God that we will inherit when our reward is fulfilled as we live with him in his kingdom forever and ever and ever. That heavenly kingdom supersedes every earthly kingdom. He is king. Hallelujah. He is king. And, and, and all kings who've reigned in this world were not born kings. Some of them just took, took the reins and took the authority and declared themselves kings and became kings because they were stronger than anybody else and had a bigger armor than anybody else. Jesus didn't get his position that way. He got his position the way it ought to be. He got it by divine appointment. Father God designated him before the beginning of time and gave him a position, put a name and title upon him from the Son of God to all these other things that he became, prophet, priest, and king. God, Father God designated him 
for that place, appointed him to it, and he held that place and still holds that place today because the appointments of the Father are without end. They're without deceit. They're without discussion. They're not open to anything except recognition. And the recognition is that Jesus, under the appointment of God Father, is King. And we're his servants and heirs of the kingdom with him. And the Bible says not only heirs of the kingdom, but that we're joint heirs. We have a high position, a high place that God has called us to and to which he has appointed us. And that high position is heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Under his kingship, we have an eternal reward. And our king will prevail. Our kingdom will stand. So he was born a king. He didn't take it from anybody else. He didn't declare it from anybody else. He was born a king. And is a king today. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And that recognition is going to come to all the world when the, when the economy of God fulfills the calendar of his plan. And at that point in time, that recognition is declared. Jesus Christ will come forth after the rapture. He'll come forth at the second stage of his second coming, riding a white horse. That may be figurative, but in a great, majestic way, he'll be declared the leader of the vast army he's bringing with him to win the battle of Armageddon. And as he comes, he will be declared the victor over all things because he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Revelation says. So at some point in time, at some point in time, in the calendar of God, there is a point where all the kingdoms of the world will bow before him. And all the kings who have led those kingdoms will surrender to him and declare he isn't just king. He's the king of all kings. So those kings of the past are going to bring their, their crowns and lay them at the feet of Jesus. No matter what kingdom they've ruled over. I don't know if King Arthur was a real king or not. He's a, he's a strong king in mythology, but if he was, he had a crown. And, and whatever kind of king he was, there's going to come a day when he, that crown's going to be taken off and laid at the feet of Jesus. Every crown over the great kingdom of England that prevailed for so many years, that was ever worn by any king, will be taken off every head and laid at the feet of Jesus. Every crown worn by the Mohammedan empires, every crown worn by the Russian empires, every crown worn by any other one, the Roman Empire, every other crown that's ever been worn by any king will be taken because every king will be just like every other person in the world when Jesus comes to rule and reign. And those crowns will be taken off and laid at the feet of Jesus. And that's when the time is going to come that every person, every ruler, every person of great authority, every person of great wealth, every person of great power, as well as everyone else, those who have been kings at the top of the list are going to come together under the calling of the word of God when the Lord says, by his word, God has highly exalted him, Jesus. He has highly exalted him. He has exalted him above every king. He's given him authority over every nation. 
He's given him dominion over all things. He has anointed him as the king and as the king of glory. And he has highly exalted him. And he has given him a name. King Jesus. Lord of lords. He has given him a name that is above every name. A greater name than any other king who's ever lived. All the great kings of history past are just shadows when it compared to the light glory of the kingship of Jesus of Nazareth. So he is going to be the one who is declared king of kings, king of all kings, lord of all lords. And at that time, God has given him a name that is above every name, the highest level name ever declared and ever assigned to anyone, that name given to Jesus. And at that name, every kingdom will fall. At that name, every king will bow. At that name, everyone will say, he is the king of kings. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and King to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. And so, Jesus went before Pilate after they had arrested him and taken him from the place that they had gone together to pray. They took him to Pilate, and Pilate said to him in the course of that interrogation, he said, so you're a king. Now here's a man under the authority of the Caesar of Rome. Here's a man who had all the authority and power of Rome backing up his place as the pseudo-king of Israel, let's call it. And so when Jesus was brought before him, he looks at him in his humble garment and, and his unprepossessing demeanor. He looks at him and he says, so, so you're a king? You're a king. Well, well. And Jesus gave him an answer. Jesus said, listen now. Now he's ready to make his statement. Jesus said, you have said correctly that I am a king. <laughs> In the presence of Pilate and before anybody else, you say correctly, I am a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into this world to testify to the truth. I am a king. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Yes, you said it right, Pilate. I am a king. So now, there's no question that Jesus claimed the title that Father God had given him. He accepted that he's a king. There's no other there's no other direction, no other course, no other point that he made. Pilate said, so you're a king? Derisively, I'm sure. Sarcastically, I'm sure. And then Jesus says, you said it correctly. I am a king. So when Jesus claimed that he's the king, he is saying, Father God has made this appointment. I have accepted it. I've been given this kingdom, and I've been given this authority, and I will stand on it in the name of my Father. Jesus Christ, King of all. Hallelujah. And so, all the contradictions of mankind's thoughts followed this time. If Jesus was a king, how could they crucify him? If Jesus was a king, why did he have to die? Because that's what this king came to do. He came.
purpose to die for our sins so that he could give us a place in his kingdom to elevate us to that place, just as he said to the dying thief on the cross who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, today, you will be in my kingdom, which is paradise. Today, you will be with me. And that's what he says to you and me, my friends. We stood covered with our sins, and we stood before the cross. And we cried out at some point in time, at some time or other, we cried out, Oh, Lord, take me, take me in. Make me your child. Make me a part of you. Take me in, Lord. And to every one of us, Jesus said, I will do that for you today. I will do that now. I'm not just a king. I am your king. Hallelujah. I am your king. That's why we're heirs of the kingdom and why he has given that promise to us who love him, as James said. So the cross, contrary to what it always had been up to that time, the cross, an ignominious form of torture and capital punishment, suffering and shame for Jesus of Nazareth, that cross became a throne. Even Pilate, not knowing how truthful he was, put the sign up over his head, a sign that all of the religious leaders of the Jews rebelled against and fought against and came and challenged with Pilate. Don't put up there that he's the king of the Jews. You can put up there he said he was the king of the Jews if you have to put something, but don't put up there he's the king of the Jews. Pilate had already written that. He'd already written it, had it posted at the head of the cross. No other person on the cross had been given any kind of title or any kind of recognition. But Jesus on that cross had that sign that Pilate put there. An unbeliever telling the eternal truth. A denier of Jesus telling the fact of the gospel. One who didn't believe even what Jesus said or what he was putting in those words himself. Who didn't believe it was nevertheless giving the revelation of God giving the declaration of the Lord Almighty for eternity. He put the truth over the head of the Here is, this is the King of the Jews. And he was the King of the Jews and the King of Israel and the King of all others and our King as well. Jesus Christ has that position, holds that position, and forever will be our King when we march into his kingdom with him. Praise God. Praise God. King of kings, Lord of lords. This is such a broad, such a broad subject. I, I can't, I can't really uh, say much more about this. I could preach on this as long as I've already preached because I could go into Revelation. But I've already referred to that. I told you when he comes back in the Battle of Armageddon, he comes back with recognition by all that he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I want you to know we have a King who's established his place in the kingdom and has room in that kingdom for us and has invited us in to be a part of it and take part of it with him. And by faith, we do that. By faith, we recognize that and acknowledge it. Glory to God.
Glory to God. I believe this king is coming back for us. This king is coming back for us. keyboard now so we can get this message completely out.